welcome to Gamertease, a new podcast series that's been started up to look at the more serious side, or at least the humanity side, behind gaming. Now, my name's Nick. I'm a PhD researcher within a humanities and technology research group called Trans Technology. And I'm currently looking at very kind of human reaction to the visual interface and particularly virtual reality but also have a, a deep interest in gamification and the the more kind of serious meaning behind games. And that comes from being a, a lifelong gamer. And my co-host is James. Hello, yes, I'm James. Um, again, also a research PhD student uh, based in trans technology research. Um, my focus is, I mean, kind of humanity based, but I'm looking at the role and impact of nostalgia in video games. So with that, we have started a new podcast series, Gamertease, which you'll uh, discover is a clever use of words, or perhaps not. And for this first episode, given that Switch has just launched a couple of days ago, there's a lot of talk out there on the internet about Nintendo's uh, return to, some would say, what they know best, and also a lot of uh, interest with such games as Zelda, which are a great release title. We thought we'd take a, a look today in this episode at Nintendo and, in fact, Zelda as well. So, James, you've been playing uh, Zelda for a few days now. You, you've had a Switch um, since the weekend? Uh, yes, yeah, since launch day. First impressions? Very happy. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe we should say relieved. <laughs> yeah, because there was an element of worry there, wasn't there, in terms of, like, actually Nintendo, although people are saying this is Nintendo's return to what they know best, they've actually chucked out the window a lot of the kind of familiarities of the console design and things like that they've been quite brave haven't they really yes um yeah with the console itself i mean it kind of linked back to what they've been doing internally for the past few years where they took the, previously their handheld division and their console the home console division were two separate entities so whilst obviously you had the overall nintendo there would be communication between the two wasn't it necessarily some like underground rivalry between the two saying oh we're going to be the home console division <laughs> yeah. the home console going oh these damn handheld units they're doing, doing better than us now no they just they were doing their own thing and yeah like did kind of work for a long time but with the 3ds actually doing really well people don't really give it that much credit but it's been a very successful console for nintendo but the wii u and 40 not so much but what the exact reason for it was anyway they've merged the two together and the, the switch really does feel like the culmination of the two well it's interesting with the way they've been marketing it they've uh, tried to go oh yeah it's, it's kind of like a handheld console you can do all this but then some they go oh it's a home console that you can take away with you okay so there's two marketing angles behind it because yeah. the video the, the videos i'd seen in the lead up to the launch you had the classic person on the airplane or in mm. in, in a park playing it so yeah. you're led to believe it is the handheld market they're looking at mm. but then equally you have the idea of it being the family console again mm. so bringing the family together so what is it you reckon it's a perfect combination of the both yeah because another way they've been advertising it's and it almost seems to be more so with the U the way Nintendo of Europe have been doing their video marketing for it it's almost like this ultimate millennial console because apparently us millennials are always on the go and like <laughs> But yeah, we also have somehow have massive TVs. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Okay. But so they, basically, it's like one minute you're playing Zelda and you're like your phone buzzes. It's like, oh yeah, I've got that meeting with so and so, or I've got to, I've got a train to go somewhere. Or, you know, like all Americans apparently we, they go on planes like yeah, every everywhere. week. Yeah. So it's like, oh, I could just take out the dock and off I go. So would you say then the aesthetics of the console to to look at? 
uh, is it mostly been created to suit the handheld market in terms of the style of it, or does it equally look nice and at home placed in the living room? You know. Well, it's interesting for me because I've actually got mine behind the TV. <laughs> oh right, okay. So it's uh, hidden away, is it? Okay. Yeah, I, I didn't want it to be hidden away, but the, the way my but I got it on my downstairs TV because to me Nintendo consoles really should be played in the lounge, yeah. but my PS4 in my room it's just how it works but the, with the switch great thing because you can take it out so if someone else wants to watch the tv and that was the great thing they tried they technically did achieve with the wii u but you had these you put the tablet yeah there only being so much you can take away whereas at least the switch you've got even more greater flexibility obviously but i see that's why i want it in the lounge i thought it can afford to be there in terms of the space and the affordances of the console itself but annoyingly because you had to take it up vertically that limits where I could put it so yes I got a unit underneath the TV so I got a PS3 there because it's a great Blu-ray player but the problem is I haven't got the space to take it out so I thought we'll put it behind the TV it's not in the way I can still get to it yeah, so it was quite a useful thing but the irony of that decision is but I didn't realise until after I put it there and was playing happily with it with just a normal Joy-Con controllers and the grip Nintendo had their announcement saying oh don't put it behind the TV because it interferes with signals and they're going wait what <laughs> I've also heard fish tanks are interfering with signals yeah, as well and also, right? yeah so there's that I, mean, I don't have a fish tank so that's fine but they also said no I don't know if I'm reading it correctly they said don't use LAN adapters and I don't know whether they meant in terms of just wireless just normal wireless hubs or whether they mean the actual one so you can get a wired internet connection oh, right, to your okay. switch because I'm using that because the Wi-Fi on it isn't great now. I don't know whether this because I mean it does support um, five uh, hertz wireless as opposed to well, I mean also back yeah, back yeah. To, so obviously it supports that, but as it can do five hertz, it will go to that. So mm. my hub does do that, but the problem with five hertz is yes, it's a it's a faster signal, but the problem is the the further away you get to it, the weaker it gets. There's not they're not a long signal, put it that way. Mm. So I didn't know whether that might be an issue. Anyway, I had. A, the LAN adapter for my Wii U, not the official one, because who paying, I think it was like £20 they wanted for it. It's like, I'll just get one off Amazon paying for like <laughs> yeah. five to eight quid. And it works down the Apple really well. <laughs> so anyway, I, I got that, plugged that in, and also I'm getting something a ridiculous speed. I think I'm getting like 40 megabits per second. Wow. I was like, that's good. I can't even get that on my PS4, and that's using the exact same method with a better Ethernet cable. Oh, wow. Okay, that's interesting. So anyway, I'm using that, and I've got no issue with the signal from the Joy-Cons getting to it. I mean, yes, there is a limit, and the right one is ever so slightly better than the left one, but I'm not getting... I did the whole behind-the-back Oh, you did all the testing that they still talked about, yeah. and no, no real issues in? I haven't so. got any issues, So, yeah. but I've been today, some are saying it's, it is an actual hardware issue. They took it apart, did a little bit of resolving, really? they, they got a better connection. Wow. Okay. So, who knows? You wouldn't have thought, coming off the Nintendo production line, though, you know, something like soldering would be an issue, because traditionally, Nintendo well, not, products are very... Yeah, it's not the soldering that's the issue. Apparently, it's the placement of one of the wires near the battery, and that's oh, causing some issues. Because okay. I'm not too surprised, because the internals of the right Joy-Con are very different to the left one, because the right one basically got all the gizmos in it, because you've got the NFC in it, and it's got the infrared camera, whereas the left one, it pretty much, it's more simple. Yeah, put sure. It that way. Okay. So, we had a little bit, so that's a bit of a sort of technical background, some mm. interest there. Let's get to the humanities. This is what we're, we're all about, <laughs> isn't it? And I'm going to start with a, with a question, because I, I remember, in fact, last night, I, I was introducing my son to the NES and the SNES. 
And part of that process was I was teaching him to blow in the cartridge. <laughs> you remember those days? You blow in the cartridge, you chuck it in, and it often sort of Even worked. Even though it wasn't actually meant to work. Right? It felt great. Oh, you know? it feels great, yeah. So my fir- my, the first question I have is, what does it feel like to go back to cartridge from the, the CD format? Well, I mean... I only put it in the one because I haven't taken it out. <laughs> it's been in there the whole time, but yeah. <laughs> so I mean that, but the little also the other thing is it's actually you could say you could compare obviously to Nintendo pre-efforts with the DS and the 3DS because yeah. they're similar in that regard. But yeah, to sure. me, it actually reminds me more of the Vita because the cartridges are well cards are even closer in size to those. But also with the Vita, you had to kind of flip a little thing up to put it in and that go back over it. It's the exact same with the Switch. Yeah. So really, it's the Vita reminds me. Right, okay, yeah. But it, that's that's one of Nintendo's um, things throughout history was their, not reluctance as such, but they wanted to keep to the hard format of the cartridge, didn't mm. they? They were quite reluctant, I suppose, then, to go to the CD format. And just remind us why that, that was again. Well, part of my research, <coughs> I've been looking at nostalgia, but not just from a purely software point of view but also the hardware point aspect or and also kind of the business reasons as well so one article i've been reading which are uh, japanese authors and they were looking at it from a kind of japanese perspective but what they're saying is yes with the cd you've got at the time more storage space but the problem with that is the, for the nintendo there was that loss of control and it's not just from a kind of arrogant point of view go oh we don't want someone else doing it with with a cartridge you know what you're, you're doing with it yeah and so that gives them more control also then there was the speed aspect but again when you you're kind of ceding control to someone else and that you've got a quality aspect as well whereas if you you're obviously they're not directly making the there's some contract you're physically making them for them but all the specifications are coming from nintendo so mm. they know exactly what's going into it and that can also affect I mean, they didn't mention it, but I just thought of it. It affects the form of the console itself. When I mean, you think about the N64, I mean, that was the time where they could have in, introduced CD, which yeah. obviously they were experimenting with Sony at the time with what became the PlayStation, but that top-loading factor. And there was something to, positive about that, really. And you, in a sense, you could see it didn't want to upset the balance of that. And it, yeah. it obviously still defines it. And also, recently, there's reports about CD rot, Oh, right, okay, that's I, interesting. I think that was yeah. a term they use, or some other term, but anyway, it's CD CD1 right. technology. Now, I think they they refer more to those really the very first CD coming out in the early 80s, yeah. but you've got the element where cartridges, they're all still working fine. Yeah, and another point I suppose to make on the kind of the aesthetics, the idea of the nostalgia or the collection, if you like, is that I, I still have all my SNES games, mm. yeah. And I proudly kind of have them on show on one of my shelves. And there's something about the cartridge, the box, and things like that, which it is a product and it is quite separate from a CD. Because the idea of the CD format, you know, you can have a whole stack of them mm. and there's not a lot of individualization. Well, they're kind that. of almost anonymous, really. Yeah, especially absolutely. with the previous console generation where, I mean, you just had, really, they were in standard DVD cases. Yes, they were different colors, but the same format, really. And in them is a shiny disc. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. But with with this with the snares and other cartridge-based games, you got the the, the artwork is mm. on it. Do you know what yeah, I mean? And that's a big thing, I mm. think. Well, yeah, because actually, what was interesting with the Wii, because obviously again, it was Nin- well, I know it was Nintendo's second time with dip, but this time they went for a more familiar format or size format. But when the Wii launched, I mean, the, 
all quite petty observation, but they had like these really cool almost silhouette to them that yeah display on the disc themselves. But then later on, they just went to the standard. Standard. Yeah, print I remember on that it. as well. And I was like, you know what? I prefer the old ones. You've almost lost a little bit of Nintendo's identity yeah. by those small touches. Mm, it just it? became more homogenized. But what's I suppose what's quite interesting is is the actual design of the consoles throughout kind of the timeline, if you like. Mm. I've always found Nintendo console to feel quite warm and welcoming just by the the look of it. Mm. You know, would you say it's the same now with the Switch? Because does it feel like it's a friend? Yes. <laughs> now it's almost a yes and no. Because on the one hand, the tab really the tablet itself is you take the Joy Cons off. Yeah, it is a normal. It is a. So it could be any manufacturer's created a tablet, yeah. and that's it. It's yeah. a seven-inch tablet. Yeah, and that's but it. But the Joy-Con themselves, they really they give it some personality, especially if you added the color ones to it. Okay, to say I haven't got a, a Switch myself yet, but I am. I'm also very tempted to, to look at getting one. I've always had Nintendo's. Always felt like the right thing to, to introduce my kids to actually was the, the you know the Nintendo journey, starting with the Wii and then the Wii U. And a lot of people put the Wii U down as a bit of a failing, but for me that was a, a console which. Reminds me about why why I loved Nintendo mm. in the first place, and I, I, it wasn't just the game lineup; it was the old interface I really enjoyed as well. You know, so the Switch interface they're talking about is, is even more simplistic than it's been before. Is is that right? Yeah, yeah. Probably, probably the most simplistic, aside from the ones that didn't re- obviously didn't have dedicated user interfaces when you're not playing it. Except, I mean, to me, the GameCube was the first Nintendo console that experimented with that. And obviously it was bare bones, but it knew yeah. exactly what it was doing. But also that had some charm to it. There were cubes everywhere. Yeah. And it had all these great little sound effects. So I always have really fond memories yeah. of the GameCube UI because it was perfect. The GameCube um, was one of my... Dare I say it's one of my favourite consoles of all time. Oh, that I sounds ridiculous, no, but I love it. A, a lot bit. of people saying that now, and I'm like, I've been saying this for years. Where have you been? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So the GameCube and the Dreamcast for me were two wonderful consoles that never really found the the, the audience or no. the potential that they really deserved. I've still got my GameCube. You know, it is on a on a bookshelf, but to me, it's it's a beautiful form. You know, mm. it's just this simplicity at its best so going back to the yes. switch now and we're talking about nostalgia and when we talk about nostalgia we talk about some of the titles that are come with the nintendo range we we don't you know we look at mario he's always up there and of course zelda is making a huge impact this idea that the open world being almost completely interactive you know interactive what what is it about zelda that is going to both attract new audiences but actually bring those older audiences along with it. Because you were telling me earlier on that Zelda's been out since 86, 87, yeah. something like that. So that's pretty much my timeline of growing up. Mm. And I've always had you know Zelda on every console I've had. So what is it doing about bringing all those kind of our oldies you know, back again? And what is it doing to introduce new audiences as well? I mean, the thing with Breath of the Wild, on the one hand, it's Zelda. But on the other hand... It's not Zelda. Right, okay. <laughs> if you want to break it down, like it's simple and possible. Okay, okay. It sounds stupid, but yeah, I'm. Mean, when you play it, they're just. In, you can almost call them more Easter eggs, even though they're they're kind of more than that. But they're just Zelda references, obviously, but just dotted around the entire map. Because when you start, the map is completely blank. Right. But then you go around and you you go. I mean, I know when you say towers, everyone thinks, oh no, they're Ubisoft towers, but <laughs> yeah. they're nothing like that really. I mean, yes, you have to climb a tower and it unlocks a map, but all it does is basically gives you the map, which you'd actually get by default by any other open world game, really. Yeah. It would just suit you like where all the paths are, the na- the overall, the overarching names of places, not the intricate names of places, because those, like there might be a spring, for example, as you go to it, then it'll, it'll give the name of that spring, but 
you wouldn't know it was there, but more like this mountain called this. Yeah. They'll give you that kind of stuff. Otherwise, the map is blank. Okay. But also with the towers themselves, aside from the, the earlier ones, it's simple, you just climb up them. But other ones get a bit more difficult and you had to kind of work out how you get up them. There'll be things getting in your way to stop them, be it combat or like mini puzzles almost to it. But so yeah. back to the reference thing is though, it's the names of the places. You're like, oh, that that's the name of so-and-so from like Wind Waker. Or that's the name of so-and-so. Well, I just, last night I unlocked an area. It's like, that's referencing Link's Awakening here. Oh, now, yeah. What does that mean? Like, <laughs> I have no idea. It's like, is it just a, a slight old nod or does it mean something else? Is that quite a pleasant um, kind of thought process that goes into that? Yeah. Is, it, is it asking you to just remember back to those mm, glory well, days of, you know... Well, it's that, but there was... The previous night I was playing it, and I'm, I'm, free, I'm trying to keep this spoiler free, obviously. Yeah, sure. But there was one area, and I found it, and I was like, oh, well, now I know exactly where I'm going with this. So I, because I knew the name, I knew what was going to come up. Also, yeah. I didn't know how it was going to play out, but I, so I thought, you know what, I'm going to keep going in this direction, because I want to see where this turns out. But I knew that name meant something to me, because I played pretty much all the games. Wow. So there's a lot there for existing Zelda players, but for new players, like, you don't need that to enjoy the game because the game itself, it, it, I don't really want to say it takes a lot from other games. It, it does it in its own way. It's, it, it has, it's the most challenging Zelda game I ever played, but wow. it's forgiving. Okay. The save system really helps that game because it, yeah. it auto saves at like, like the perfect moments. Like if, if you get, if you die, which you will die a lot, it only put you back maybe like three minutes max. Yeah, sure. And that, but also it say it keeps the past like seven auto saves. You think you know what? I've messed up this entire section. I'm gonna start fresh. <laughs> yeah. You can do that because the save's still there. And what is it about the character Zelda? You know the the appearance of Zelda. What what is it about the characters of the game again that have this appeal to them? Because they do, don't they? Nintendo get this so right, I think, with their character development, the way they create these characters and. You know, I was somebody that had, you know, like stuffed toys, Nintendo stuffed toys mm. and um, a Mario alarm clock and things like that. And I know there's an element of marketing in any franchise mm. that exists, but for Nintendo to get their characters so right for so long, how does that link to your work with nostalgia and appearance and things like that? What do you think the, the key ingredient there is? If it, I feel like you given it too much thought, and especially with the Zelda scene, because obviously there is a lot of marketing that goes with it, but I feel like... Nintendo's always been very, maybe, maybe not intentionally, but unintentionally cautious about how they've marketed Zelda. It's, it's never been one of those, like, oh, we're going to put like Link's face on every single product we can. I could marry, they kind of do that, but because Mario is, obviously, everyone said this is Nintendo's Mickey Mouse, you can get away with it. Yeah, it sure, seem sure. Obsessive, but with Link and Zelda, the whole Zelda franchise, they, it's been less so, especially with like the faces of them. I think. I think also in part because essentially Link's face changes almost ne nearly every game. Obviously yeah. not every single game because there's some where they keep some are direct sequels and some they keep the aesthetics of the get of the previous game. But it, Link's appearance is in flux essentially. And th and this and th I think this brings up a really interesting conversation in in the humanities and the idea of of, of this kind of relationship, this link to. The characters that play out, the franchise that plays out. So you're saying that um, Zelda is a relatively protected franchise, but by being protected in those ways, our connection can always be more pure or more true. If that makes yeah, sense, also, because yeah, it might also make it more personal because it's almost like which link is your link. Ah, that's, that's really interesting as well. So, would you say this 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 new game is your favorite of the lot, or would you say 
Well, it's such a different Zelda. Yeah. I think it's a, it almost seems like a new breed because um, you've, got the, you've got the 2D Zeldas, you've got the 3D Zeldas. Obviously, yes, this is still 3D, but I don't think you can compare it to them. I think Twilight Princess was like, it It was like peak 3D Zelda. Like, that had all the trope, that game was trope mad. Like, I love that game, but it, <laughs> it had every yes. Zelda trope, every 3D Zelda trope you know and love and hate yeah. was in there. Was in there. <laughs> we were packaged in it, yeah. yeah. Whereas Skyward Sword is, people cast it now which I think is unfair but I think that is that was the almost the un, uneasy middle child like that you can see in Breath of the Wild a lot of the things in there you can see they were experimented in with Skyward Sword that was a very experimental yeah, game and I absolutely. think I'm hoping people look back on that and think ah oh, that's why that's why well obviously Nintendo can think like that but Nintendo wanted Skyward Sword to be an experimental game yeah. they were trying to learn things and they did learn things because they're fully evident in Breath of the World. Mm. Like, m- the more obvious things are the stamina meter. First time was in Skyward Sword. It, did, it worked well in that game, but it'd been implemented in a better way in Breath of the Wild. Yeah. And also the crafting mechanics and collecting things. It was introduced there, but it works better in Breath of the Wild. Yeah, absolutely. That, but that's really interesting. Breath of the, uh, Skyward Sword did still contain a lot of the tropes that you expect with the kind of normal 3D Zelda games, but it did change them a bit. And the overworld use of that and kind of because you did return to because they basically had like three main ground areas to that game but they had you returned to them a lot because they're different either in getting the crafting items or you had you had more than one dungeon in each area yeah. so you had that to it yeah okay again not wishing to jump around too much but we, we spoke earlier about the console itself and I think we agree it is quite it's quite a brave design isn't it it's quite a brave idea what Nintendo are trying mm-hmm. to accomplish uh, they're going slightly, you know, combining the portable element with the home entertainment element again. Do you think that's going to be reflective of their lineup as well? Because there's obviously a lot of games coming out mm. for Nintendo. There's quite yeah. a quite a nice catalogue coming out soon, yes. isn't there? Are they going to be relying on their safe bets that they've always relied on, or do you think there's going to be some bravery in what they try and look at now in terms of their titles? It depends because Arms are coming out. I think. April June. Uh, they haven't committed a launch date to it yet, but it's, it's coming out before like what we consider main summer. Yeah. It depends whether you consider that experimental or risky or not, because if you want to be like really basic about it, you could say, well, is it basically a kind of expanded version of Wii Boxing or or kind of mixing that with Punch Out? Yeah, just a quick thought I just had there actually, because again, remembering how I've been as, as a dad of my kids, okay, so we had the snares out yesterday and previous to that, they, they've been playing on the Wii U and, and the Wii and things like that. So whether or not they're playing um, Super Smash Bros. Brawl or whatever it is, I'll be like, oh, I remember that character from... That's quite a powerful tool, actually, isn't it? Because it's combining the generations as well. So a lot of their marketing, a lot of their kind of appeal Mm. is that they're relying on the parents of old who've grown up with these to actually bring it to their kids as well. Do you think that's quite quite an interesting approach for Nintendo to take? Or do you think that's a conscious choice? Or do you think it's just happened? It's partly a conscious choice, because they always... They don't market it as a kids' console. They, they talk about the family, so that they do talk about going across generations, and they they kind of purposely did that with the Wii, and it paid off very well for them for a while. Yeah. But with the Wii U, that what I think they're down for. Well, from a commercial aspect, without they're down for because if, by the end of the Wii's lifespan, the generational approach just 
disintegrated yes, basically. Absolutely. In part, external fat is included in that, obviously. Yeah. So with the Wii, you thought, well, the Xbox 360 did very well because they kind of ignored all that and went for the core game. Let's let's do that with the Wii U, and it it didn't really work. Yeah. I think it also in part because the third again the going back uh, people would mention the third party dropped them that didn't help so you, you have that aspect as well but that's the thing if you can't get them on board how do you market it it's mm. it, it, difficult I mean that's the challenge really I suppose Nintendo for me has always been um, escapism as well mm. and what I mean by that is yeah we can we, we also use the word escapism for anything to take us out of kind of stresses and things like that and that exists with, with games probably right across the board but Nintendo, for me, the escapism has been that I can go and return to a title with kind of innocence, if you mm. like. Like I can be not a kid again, but I can do play a game for the sake of collecting coins or for the sake of just enjoying the game without these huge objectives and reward system. You know, that's quite pleasant for me. Yeah, because one thing I'm actually quite glad because a lot of people wanted the Switch to have trophies achieving that kind of thing. Which doesn't do that. They yeah. made, they never said they were going to. And um, well, actually, that's not strictly true. Technically, they do with the My Nintendo account with their mobile games. You kind of have that. So, for example, with Fire Emblem Heroes, when you complete a chapter, you technically get an achievement thing in it. Yeah. And you get Nintendo points. So they do kind of do that. But on the whole, well, I mean, the, on the Switch so far, there's none of that. And I have to say, I'm really glad that's not in there. I mean, you could so easily put it into Breath of the Wild, mm. and it would ruin it. Because you'd be playing it just to get the achievements and missing the detail of the yeah, experience? Well, or? they'd become more about, I'm going to try and get this trophy uh, slash achievement rather than I'm getting it because I want to. Yeah. So, for example, there's some things in there called co-op seeds and you use them to um, upgrade your inventory slots. Yeah. There's hundreds of them. There's no way you're, anyone is going to get all of them. But if you attach a trophy to them, you know someone would try and do that. And that, uh, yeah, that's really... And, yeah. But because there's no trophy, I have no, I'll get... If I think there's one nearby, I'll go on my way to get it, but that's because I want the inventory slot. I don't care about the trophy. And I, it put me off a lot of the open world games, but when I do play them on other systems, I'll play it because I want to, or if, mm. if I enjoy that bit, I'll do more of it, and the trophy's a nice bonus, but I'm not going on my way because I can't be arsed. And it, it, it just takes the fun out of it. It becomes, yeah. it becomes like a job almost. That's, and that's what I was meaning with the escapism yeah. because you know, often I, I, there are some fantastic games I absolutely love on you know, my Xbox and, and things like that. But I will go into a game and I will be quite determined to get an achievement. Mm. You know, I'll be determined to find all the achievements to do this. With. And it almost becomes a task that I forget to notice the real beautiful details yeah. of the game. And I'm sure there are developers that have spent, and artists that have spent a long time doing, you know, the most intrinsic details in the corner of a scene or something like that, which we just miss because we're so driven by mm. the pace of the experience, by wanting to get this and this and this. And they must be just like thinking, why do I bother? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes. And that, so that's really positive to hear that with something like, like Zelda, which sounds like it's focused on some of those real beautiful details. And from the feedback I'm hearing online, people are starting to sort of almost take note of that. And it's changing the pace of, of their kind of day if you like they're actually going to Zelda mm. and, and, they're, and, they're, and they're slowing themselves down they're noticing you know the sunrise and things yes. like that and, that and that's really nice and you said the weather element in mm. the game is, is quite powerful as well we well, said about sunrise like just last night when I was playing it I was climbing up a cliff and separate to the story which I'll get to but I was just climbing up and then just the sun of it just had this like glow coming down I was like Hey, so nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I never said that about a sun rising in a video game 
Okay. It, it just such a nice feeling. <laughs> it sounds well, no, stupid. I, is it allowed? But it's it's just done so well, and obviously the it, the game doesn't look realistic in the slightest. Not trying to be, but yeah, yeah. they. That's the only game that's got sunrises right to me so far. From what I've seen, it's the sort of game where I wouldn't mind framing some artwork, you know. I'm taking some, because you've got an in-game camera, but also the screenshot function on the Switch is amazing. It works so much better than the one on the PS4, because that is slow. So I, do you think that's something they've really marketed as well, or really made an effort to look they at? They have, or? actually, and it and also with the screenshots, I mean, it's really easy to view them. You just pause the game, you go into the main home, like home screen UI of the Switch, and there they all are. And then you can edit them, you can post them to Facebook or Twitter. They're really easy to do. Yeah. Like, it's all there. I mean, also going to add video at some point, which, to be fair, PlayStation 4 does really, really well. So I don't, yeah. I don't know whether they can match that, but even just basic video functionality, I think, will be a nice bonus. So I go back to yeah. the weather thing. Yeah, please, yeah. Because this is what I also experienced last night, and I think it really shows the experimentation you can get with Breath of the Wild that really sets it apart from any other Zelda game. So I was trying to find this one bit where you can, in the game you've got the kind of hidden memory thing, where you get a photo and it goes, go where that photo is, and you basically get like a story dump. Yeah. And it actually works really well. It's a really good way of just getting the story out there without rushing you or thinking, oh, I need to spend X number of hours to get the story bit. Yeah, and, sure. But anyway, that's really useful. But yeah. so I'm trying to find it, and it turns out I was in, I was near the air, but not quite. But then I got on the tangent along the path. And thought, oh, yeah, I remember this this tower because I saw it from when I was at another part of the map, and I, I marked it down on my map. But I'll get to that later. But it had um, this special type of guardian. I thought that looks a bit challenging. I'll come back <laughs> later when I'm a bit got, obviously not level. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I've got a few more hearts and yeah. I'm, I'm confident with my abilities and I've got some good equipment on me. Yeah. And I was there and I thought, you know what, I thought I'd give them that a go. Yeah. So, so I do that and I start climbing along because I thought I'm going to get past these enemies. I'm not going to take them on because yeah. I feel, especially early on, I'm going to be suicide. So yeah. I start climbing up <laughs> and it starts raining. It's like, great. Now, usually if it starts raining a game, whatever, it doesn't mean a lot. Yeah. In Zelda, yeah. or Breath of the Wild, when it starts raining, it makes the rock slippery. It makes perfect sense. So, of course, it makes it difficult to climb. Yeah. So it's like, well, that's my tactics out the window now. <laughs> yeah. Now there is a path, like you can get to it normally, but of course the path is littered with just normal enemies and the guardian thing, which I still can't defeat yet. Yeah. I, I can kind of disable them for a moment, so I was like, that's what it kind of had to be. So I, I do that with like trying to approach them. With... Could you not have been patient and waiting for the weather to change if you I wanted could to? Or... I do think maybe yeah. I can be. Find a hidden spot like a fire and wait till morning. I thought, oh, I can't be asked. So I, I, saved, I saved it for just in case it's planned yeah. backfired miserably. Yeah. So I carry on. But then it basically became Metal Gear Solid. Right. So I'm sneaking along. And then the rain the rain doesn't eventually give up. It's like, yes, I can finally climb up this oh, thing. Oh, nice. So I climb up. and then yeah. But I get to the top of this bit where the tower is. But then that's not the end of it. There's always like stuff that's basically preventing me from getting there easily. Yeah. So I had to do a bit more stuff, take out some enemies while there with my bow. And then... Set like use the wind sail thing, which is a whole other story. But anyway, so they got to tower, got up there, and then it's cold. So, <laughs> and with Breath of the Wild, the other thing you've got elemental stuff. So as it's yeah. cold, you need to get soon to warm you up. I thought I've got enough hearts in my I'll just activate this tower and get the hell out. Get, of there. get out of there. But yeah, so um, but that story, like that's not like any other game I've really experienced. Like yes, you yeah. could say you kind of got that in other open world things, but nothing like that. And equally, people are going to approach that same. Yeah, well, Guardian yes. in a totally different way. Oh yes. Totally different story. So what we're actually what we're actually creating here is these unique yeah, kind I mean, of narratives. Memory, yeah, it's unique now and that memory, my memory, like 
people might have something similar, but that is unique to me. And like, no other, you can't say that I don't think about any other Zelda game. They're yeah. very, well, mate, they set for the original Zelda game. Yeah, so there is the return then. We talk Which, about the return, yeah. and that's it there. Nintendo have made such a big deal about how this harked back to the original Zelda game yeah. and with their GDC talk recently they sh- they made a 2D prototype which apparently uses the same engine of Breath of the World to oh, plan things out geez. and it yeah it basically how to take a nostalgic game design and make it modern <laughs> and that's what they've done they've done it perfectly yeah. by the sounds of it well you know what I think we'll, we'll we're going to wrap up there but for our next episode, we're going to be talking about interactive narratives in video games. And again, we'll probably touch on Zelda's because Zelda's a very powerful kind of series. And I'll probably to still be playing it. And you'll still be playing <laughs> it. And I'll be playing it by then as well. Um, thank you ever so much for joining us for our first podcast. We hope you enjoyed our conversations there, looking at Nintendo and, and Zelda. kind of, Not so much in you know immense detail, but certainly from a kind of more humanities-based perspective. But we'll be, uh, we'll be back with another episode again soon. So we'll uh, look forward to hearing... <laughs> Damn, so close. <laughs> we look forward to uh, you 